What specifically would you do that you aren't currently able to because your health condition is holding you back? Welcome to Balance Health Now podcast. I'm your certified functional nutrition health coach and your host, Sydney Torres. My passion is helping women balance their hormones naturally and improve gut function. Being a health detective, finding the underlining root causes. My other passion is speaking to other health and wellness warriors who share the same vision, wellness for all. We chat all things A to Z on holistic health and wellness, providing holistic and science-based solutions to help you reclaim your health so you can live, feel, and transform into the best version of you. If you don't have your health, then what do you have? I release new episodes every Wednesday. Hope to see you inside. This podcast is meant for educational purposes only. The content should not be used to diagnose, treat, cure any medical or psychological disorder. Hello, Dr. Lucy. Thank you so much for being here. We get to hang out for the next 30 minutes talking all about PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome and the insulin resistant connection. I just want to let everybody know you woke up early today. You are in Australia. So there's um, about a day difference between uh, where I'm located in the U.S. and where you are. So I just want to say thank you. Thank you so much for getting up early um, just to sit here and bring awareness to PCOS and insulin resistance. So how are you doing this morning? Uh, Thank you. Thank you, Sydney, for that beautiful introduction. And I'm actually doing really well and <laughs> hilariously and think people think I'm nuts, but today's actually my birthday. So, uh, <gasps> oh my gosh, it's your birthday today. Yeah. yeah happy, yeah. happy birthday to you. Thank you. Thank you. And, um, I guess one of the things that, that sort of I'm grateful for each year that passes is recognizing the um, that I have changed my own health and I often reflect on where I would be now if I hadn't done something about it, you know, years ago. And that I often think because we, we're so busy spending time thinking that the future will never arrive and it, and it kind of technically doesn't because you're, you know, you're always in the present, but I think it is really wonderful to be able to think, ah, you know, I changed my health around. And now at, at my age, I can celebrate, if you like, the benefits of that. Yes. Oh my gosh. It's so beautiful. Mm. Um, before we get started, um, I just want to share a little bit about you. You are an Australian based GP and lifestyle medicine physician. You have your own online clinic called, um, Epiphany Medical Weight Loss, where you help women unlearn toxic diet culture, and you help them rebalance their mind and their body through low-carb and real food programs. And you have your own podcast, and uh, it's called Real Health and Weight Loss. So I just want to hear um, a little bit more about your story and how you got to where you are today. 
Absolutely. So um, I guess I was a person probably like many of your listeners who, who used to be, I would call myself an expert dieter. I was very good at dieting to lose weight and I could stick to a plan, no problem. And I would drop kilos and then I would just stop doing that and go back to my old way and that all pile back on again. And this was, you know, just my pattern for years, years and you're like 20 years. And then there came to a point where suddenly the, the dieting didn't, didn't work and that stopping the stuff or, or changing to what I thought was healthy food just didn't do anything to, for me to lose weight. And I guess a couple of things happened over that time, which is my epiphany. Although interestingly, I've changed the name of my business now. It's called Real Life Medicine. And I'll, I can tell you a little bit about that because it's a funny story. But, um, but two things happened. One, I, I went and got some blood work done and found out I, I was insulin resistant uh, with prediabetes and fatty liver disease. And I just thought, oh, what sort of doctor is walking around with fatty liver disease and prediabetes? This is, this is no good. I've got to do something about it. So I did, you know, just did some readings and I hadn't really tried low carb, you know, as one of my diets. I'd done every other diet and I thought, oh, well, look, I'll, and look, to be, to be truly honest, I probably thought initially I would do low carb because it would help me lose weight. I was still a bit weight obsessed. And, um, and it wasn't until doing that that I realized two things. One, I, I could go, I could go after a period of time, I, I wasn't hungry. Whereas every other diet in my whole life, it was all about white knuckling my way through hunger. And that hunger felt like a badge of honor that if I was hungry, I must be losing weight. And here I was eating a different way and being able to, yes, lose the weight. But most importantly for me now, was actually change my insulin resistance. So I guess I realized, uh, you know, again, in all my readings, and in, interestingly, in medical school, we didn't learn a lot about insulin. And part of that is that, uh, you know, when I was going through medical school, met metabolic syndrome, insulin resistant PCOS, they were rare. They, they were hardly, hardly around. So on my glorious 54th birthday, I've thought, Ah, so interesting. Whereas now insulin resistance is ah, like it's, it's, you know, it, it's a plague. It's everywhere. It's massive. And it has huge, huge implications on our health. So I guess the ability to be able to manage that insulin resistance by, by changing my food without needing pills and potions was why I called it epiphany. Like I thought, oh my God, what's this is all I have to do? I can have my own little private epiphany and I can lose weight without being hungry. I can change my food and change my health. This is, a, this is amazing. Um, but <laughs> I ended up changing the name because of a couple of things. A few people weren't really clear on what an epiphany was. And one, one person asked me why I called my business Epiphany. And I thought, you know what? I don't, I don't think I'm going to call it that anymore. So, <laughs> so then we changed it to real life medicine. Oh my gosh, that's great. So um, I want to start off with, if you could just lay the foundation of first off what PCOS is and what insulin resistant is and how the two are connected. 
Excellent. Great, great question. What I might do is go first with the insulin resistance because then it makes the PCOS a little easier to understand. Okay. So, so the, you know, the way I describe it is that insulin is a hormone made by our pancreas. So that's where most people know about it and they've, they've heard about it um, in relation to blood glucose. And insulin is a really, really important hormone. Without it, we have a condition called type 1 diabetes, which most people have heard of. So it's super important. But what happens is that glucose in our body is quite toxic to our cells, to our little uh, vascular, so the arteries and veins in our body. And part of it is that our pancreas wants to move that glucose out. It wants to move it out into the muscles and into the liver where it can be used for fuel. So it uses insulin to do that, which is great. But for some people, they need a lot of insulin. And that's if they're insulin resistant, they'll, they'll need a lot to do that same job. And the body is very clever. The pancreas is such a wonderful organ and it will make as much insulin as needed, as much as it can. It's like, it's like a little workhorse. So as it's pouring out insulin to keep your vascular system safe, we end up with this very high circulating level of insulin. But the thing with insulin is it has a couple of side gigs. And one of its side gigs is fat storage. It stops the breakdown of fat. So if you have high levels of circulating insulin in your blood, your body cannot access its fat stores. And that to me was like, that was mind blowing because that's what was happening with me. That's why on that second time, when I was doing all the, you know, the whatever, it wasn't, I wasn't losing any weight. I couldn't access my fat stores. So if you can't access your fat stores, your fat is your fuel. You find yourself, you get tired, you get hungry. People have to eat often. They can't, people can't do this fasting thing that everyone's talking about and they get hangry. And lots of people have those symptoms of tremor or shaking, you know, when they haven't eaten for a while. So that's, the sort of the, the mechanism of insulin resistance. And one of the, just to give you a quick analogy that makes it super simple to understand, I like to imagine if your body is like a fireplace, it will use, it's got two forms of fuel. It's got some kindling, so little small sticks, or it's got logs. So little small sticks are our glucose and our glucose comes from eating carbohydrates. So that sweet sugary food or starchy food so that gives us energy or we can use logs which are fat and you know we've got plenty most of us have plenty of fat in our fat stores but if you have insulin resistance what happens is you don't have any logs next to your fireplace they're out in a little woodshed and that woodshed has a padlock on it and depending on how insulin resistant you are you might have just one padlock or you might have the equivalent of eight or nine padlocks. So when your fire, so you've put your kindling on and then your fire starts to dwindle and in somebody who's metabolically healthy, they'll just put a log on. But for the insulin resistant people, their body, you trot out to this woodshed and it doesn't matter what you do, you can't actually open the door to your shed. So you can't actually get your fat to burn. So then your fireplace is really just dead now on a few embers and that's when you start to get that hungry, tired, 
hangry and your brain gets really desperate and it starts to go, oh my God, Lucy, get some fuel. And so that's when it will often also reach for something quick and that'll be your, your sugary food because it's a quick source of energy. So that's, in, that's part of the reason why then people with insulin resistance find it tricky to be able to open their woodshed and burn that fat stores. So then insulin's other side gig. So we mentioned it, it moves glucose from the blood into, into your muscles and your liver. It then stops fat breakdown. And then its third one is that it acts like a growth hormone. So it, it grows things, which is kind of interesting. And so for polycystic ovarian syndrome, one of the things that it contributes to is growing cysts on the ovary. The other thing it grows is for some people, uh, um, they get skin tags. So not everyone with PCOS has skin tags, but lots of people as they get older get lots of skin tags and think it's related to age and it's usually related to your high levels of insulin. It also is really um, integral as a cancer risk because cancer is just growth of tissue and insulin has a big part to play in that. But if we go back to PCOS, so PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, in, in Australia we call it PCOS, um, just to shorten it, but it's, it's, it da- it's a bit of a misnomer. Polycystic ovarian syndrome re- refers to the concept that most people with this condition have lots of cysts on their ovaries. Now, there is a normal amount of multiple cysts. So it is normal to have several cysts on, on each ovary at any time. That's, that's normal. But with polycystic ovarian syndrome, sometimes you've got you know, 20, 30, 40 cysts on each ovary. And again, those particular cysts, I mean, they can cause some problems with... Um, fertility so when you've got all of these little cysts forming the the little egg if you like doesn't pop out of one of the cysts like it should but that's it's really that's not the cause of the problem it's just a um, I guess you know a design feature of this condition is that you you will have cysts on your ovaries but there are also a whole lot of other things that go with polycystic ovarian syndrome so we think at the heart of it it is related to insulin resistance. So for most people, and, the, and then what happens, particularly in, in younger women, which is where, what, what this condition affects, women starts often in their, in their adolescence and then continues through till menopause, they have a predisposition to insulin resistance. So I've, I always say to people, you know, it's not your fault. This is, this is genetics. And what it will mean that the other, um, I guess, features that go along with it is lots of girls will have acne with it. Uh, Lots of girls will carry, you know, weight around, particularly around their middle, sometimes have skinny legs and people, you know, the, the old fashioned apple. So, and they have very, very heavy periods that will come not in the usual 28 days, often, you know, 40 50 days, and then they just get this big flood. So the reason for these other features that come is that insulin also has a really integral relationship with our, what we call the sex hormone, so estrogen, progesterone, testosterone. 
So women with polycystic ovarian syndrome have an imbalance in those hormone levels. <sighs> that was a long version. Yeah, but it's, 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 I, I think it's great to give the long version just so everybody can see like the whole picture of everything. And I appreciate that. So when you are seeing your clients, are, is there any special testing that you do to diagnose um, the PCOS? Yeah, absolutely. So um, you can certainly do blood. Now, the caveat being lots of women are put on the oral contraceptive pill to manage their periods, which makes sense. I mean, you know, when you're having an unpredictable period and literally it's, it is, it's floods, it's really, it's really um, you know, it affects your life. So, so therefore, lots of people are on the, on the pill. You can't do your hormone blood tests if you're taking the oral contraceptive pill because it will change them. But if you're looking at somebody who, who perhaps isn't on the pill, then certainly you can do some blood testing and you will often find that these girls have higher levels of testosterone and they have a different balance on their estrogen and progesterone ratio. So there is definitely hormonal components that will go with it. We then, I mean, the, the first thing obviously is also to look at their, at, at do their exam, examination. You know, you can see, you can see the features, you know, with skin and, and particularly as I said, fat storage. So the examination, blood tests, and then for uh, some people, they'll get an ultrasound of their ovaries to, to confirm, you know, this polycystic ovarian syndrome. There is a sub phenotype, if you like, a subset of PCOS where women have all the blood changes, but they don't have the insulin resistance. And we're not entirely sure yet on, my, my underlying thought is it's probably a separate condition that has similar endpoints as in the cysts, and, um, but, but they don't tend to gather the, the weight, the acne. The, um, the third thing I forgot to mention with the skin, it's acne, but also for some girls, extra hair. So again, for them, they're, they're hairier than their friends. And of course that, you know, that creates all sorts of problems with their, feel how they feel about themselves. So my, my next question is um, for the mothers who have teenage girls, um, if they're experienced like the, the acne, um, and like other PCOS, I guess, like syndromes, I guess my question is how would like a mother kind of tell the difference or are there telltale signs between just regular teens going through their hormones? Cause I know you get the acne versus, oh no, yes. this may be something more serious. Could you just yeah. speak to that? Absolutely. So again, it'll be those three things that it's weight gain, it's acne, hair, and hair and you know girls they'll find they're getting hairy around their face and you know they're mortified um but then that combination of not getting their period regularly so of course when all young girls start you know you have that stop you know spluttering ovary where it stops starts, stops starts but once you've kind of got going if you're not having a roughly 28 day cycle now it might be 26 it might be 30 but if it's moving on beyond that if it's 35 if it's 40 and it's heavy then the likely scenario is that this child has PCOS. 
So can you talk about too, um, just how the thyroid plays into this? Yeah, so it's tricky. The thyroid, um, again, it's so interesting to me to see, and again, having a longer career in medicine, when I first started medicine, there wasn't much in the way of thyroid autoimmune conditions. We learnt about it, but they weren't very prevalent, particularly Hashimoto's. Whereas these days, Hashimoto's is so common. And so there's been this big change over the last 20 years in development of autoimmune conditions. So um, autoimmunity, (laughs) I don't even know if that's really a word, but autoimmune conditions would be the one thing that would count for lots of uh, low thyroid. So low thyroid can give us similar symptoms to PCOS in particularly heavy periods. So, you know, again, girls, when they're starting their periods, they're all over the place and we wait for them to settle into a rhythm. But honestly, girls should not, you know, girls shouldn't have to put up with very heavy or very painful periods. So if, you know, if you're a mum and your daughter has heavy or painful periods, then she needs to get some help around that because it's it's so impactful on their lives. So, yeah, that's... um, that would be the one thing I'd be saying. And that really to get your thyroid checked because Hashi's is so much more common. So again, if you've got heavy periods, yeah, look for Hashi's. Now, I am just curious. I want to know your thoughts on using birth control pills to control PCOS. Yeah. So it's common. It's very common, but it's not my preferred measure. So as a lifestyle medicine physician, I am much keener to try and get to the root cause and address that if we can. So again, if we use insulin as our driving factor, then the things that are driving insulin that we can adjust in our life are our, is our food. So, and this is a really interesting story. I can't remember if I mentioned this last time we had a little chat, but it's really important to note that children and adolescents, um, different food affects different people. So often people will, you know, I mean, I could do bang on a whole chapter on fat shaming and judging and, and critiquing and everybody making comments on people's food. But I do remember I went on a little holiday and my took my 16-year-old daughter and her bestie and we went away and, and the bestie has PCOS. So completely different body shape and habitus to my daughter who who doesn't and happens to be quite lean. So I remember watching these two gorgeous girls and they'd gone to get an ice cream and they're sitting down and I was just doing a little spying and I could see the people looking at my at my daughter's friend because she 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 was she she was a bit heavier all of the things that come with PCOS and I could see their judgment and their story in their head was oh she she shouldn't be eating that but no judgment about Ella's choice of food, purely based on what, on what they look like. So I think it's really important to always be mindful that people who particularly store extra fat or have bigger bodies, it's not their fault. Like it's just not their fault. They eat the same as everyone else, but for some people, their genetics mean they will store a whole pile of fat and that's, that's just how it is. So 
If we want to be able to do something, though, we do have a choice, and that would be to lower the general carbohydrate level of our diet, because what we're wanting to do is lower insulin. And if you lower insulin, then you will reduce and in some cases reverse polycystic ovarian syndrome. And so then the other hormones that are in that same axis, in particular the estrogen, progesterone and testosterone, will also return into balance. So, but it is hard. It is hard as a mother of, I'm a mother of a teenager, it is hard to reduce their carbohydrates because kids are all out there eating, eating rubbish, but it does make a big difference. So, you know, I'd be saying to, to mums, you know, if you can look, you know, make some swaps, you know, we, we don't eat potato in our house anymore. We, we will eat cauliflower instead. We, you know, I don't eat sugar. Sadly, my kids still do, but you know, again, that's they're autonomous. That's what they do. Um, I guess if they, if one of them had PCOS and I was able to explain to her that changing her diet would help her PCOS, that might be a good motivator because most girls, you know, young girls in particular, that they don't want it. Um, so, yeah, so I would be really looking at reducing refined carbohydrates. So in particular, sugar, in particular, you know, chips, junk food, crisps, um, you know, even rice crackers, like, in Australia, rice crackers have like a health halo. They're those little succotar ones. I don't know. Do you call them that in, in the States? Uh, yeah, we have like, yeah, little rice cakes. Yes. Yeah. So there's in Australia, we've got the two. We've got the ones that have got the bubbly kind of big rice in them, but we've got these little snacky ones that people use for dip and whatnot. And they are basically just savoury sugar. It's it's hard to get our head around, but because they're rice, it feels healthy, but they're just savoury sugar. So they're, they're not going to be helpful in this situation. Yeah, exactly. Now, just to kind of dive a little bit deeper, what would be, when it comes to like diet and lifestyle and PCOS, what would be like maybe your top three that you would recommend to somebody, um, something that's easy and actionable and they could start to implement, the, start to implement it right now? Yeah. So the three things that I say to people that will that will improve your insulin resistance or your hyperinsulinemia, which is just a fancy way to say high blood levels of insulin. There's three lifestyle things that you can do. You can reduce your carbohydrates, as I've mentioned. You can go to bed on time. So amazingly, sleep, restorative sleep is very good for insulin resistance. And the third thing is that you can start a strength training program. And that doesn't mean that you need to hit the gym and start lifting barbells, but what we can use is even our own body. So not so walking is good, but actually improving your muscle mass will improve your body's ability to process all of these sugars, these carbohydrates. And so the more you know squats that you can do while you're standing at the at your counter waiting for your coffee is, is really good. So that would be my top three. Right. You know what? And just to kind of stack a little bit on the exercise part, I like to, I love the resistant bands and yes. they're easy. They're portable. Like if you're traveling, you could just throw them in your bag. And two, I think a lot of times when people hear the word exercise immediately, like when I used to hear the word exercise, my mind would first thing like, oh, I have to go to the gym. I have to hit it hard. I have to do high intensity. But no, it's not like that. I like to call it like body movement. As long as we're just 
moving the body. And what I do now that I'm older is I don't, I don't feel like I have to do anything high impact anymore. I walk around my block. I do my resistant bands and in between the day I'll do lunges, squats. Um, I'll do like little arm raises. And the point I'm trying to make is we can keep it simple. We can keep it easy. And yet we're still getting the the benefits of everything. I love that. I love that. And we did the same. I said, because sometimes when people say, oh, I don't have 45 minutes to go to the gym, because, you know, if you're a busy mom, often you don't actually have that block. But if you sneak it in throughout the day, then it's like you've got to the end of the day, you tip your brain, thinks, oh, good, I didn't have to go to the gym, but you've actually done all the work anyway. Exactly. So, okay, Dr. Lucy, I have one final question for you. And that is, what is one thing somebody can do for their health? Uh, seriously, reduce your sugar. Like, you know, as simple as that, if you can reduce the amount of sugar in your diet and, you know, obviously there's cane sugar, you know, which is what everyone thinks of as sugar, but there's also sneaky little sugars that come in and that they will, marketing in particular is very sneaky at, at shoveling sugars in that are not actually cane sugar. It'll be honey, it'll be agave, it'll be dates, it'll be all of those things that they go, oh, it's still healthy. Yeah, re- learning how to reduce your sugar so that'll be your glucose and your fructose and your, and being mindful of the savoury sugars. So, you know, as I said, the chips, even bread, you know, it's it's very high in carbohydrates. So for somebody who's insulin resistant, bread is not your friend, but prioritising your protein is. That is your friend. So, yeah, that that's my one, one big tip. If you can just reduce the amount of processed sugar in your diet, you'll be so much healthier. So if people listening today resonated with you and they want to reach out and work with you, how is the best way to find you? And do you work with uh, patients in the United States or just Australia? Yeah. So um, one-to-one medical appointments, I can't work with people in the United States and my insurance won't cover it. But general health advice or coaching, I can do. And we do have, we have a, a program like lots of people, but it's a 12 week mind body rebalance that is really so even though I know a lot of people are wanting to lose weight we're very much on the you know what don't don't lose weight at any cost like don't be brutal to your body in the order of thinness and somebody once said to me what's the best way to lose weight and I go oh no they said what's the fastest way to lose weight so chop a leg off (laughs) I go no, 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 I'm serious. I go, yeah, if you, if that is the fastest way. You will change the number on your scales by amputating your leg. It is not the be all and end all. The number on the scales is does not actually equate to health. So I'm really big on health these days rather than numbers. But for a lot of people, that's a bridge too far. They still want to lose the weight. And I go, okay, all right, we'll work with that. We can do weight loss, but we're going to do it in a healthy, sustainable way. So, yeah, so certainly for anybody who wants to do that, they can just follow us at Real Life Medicine um, or pop over to the website at rlmedicine.com. 
And I'm gonna put all of Dr. Lucy's contact information and her website and um, all that information in the show notes. And I wanna say happy, happy birthday to you. Uh, thank you. And thank I you. also wanna say thank you for being here and just, just for sharing your knowledge and for the work you do. I mean, oh, thank you. Oh my gosh, you are just a blessing. Just you are making the world a better place. And I, I appreciate you so much. As are you, Sydney, as are you, and I appreciate you as well. It is. I think, you know, again, we just, the collective sharing of health information is what we all need to do because, uh, you know, I'm so anti-marketing that will hijack that message for their own benefit. Yeah. Thank you again. And I hope you have a beautiful rest of your day and a fun day today. Thank you. Thank you. I will. Wait, don't go just yet. If you like today's episode, please leave a review. This way, the message of health and wellness can get shared with others. If you ever want to hang out, you can find me on Instagram at Balance Health Now. Until next time, stay well.